This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello, everybody. The Hockey News Podcast is back. I'm Matt Larkin with Ken Campbell and Ryan Kennedy. It's been a, a fun week since we saw you last. There's biting and there are trades. So let's just get into the analysis first off for our hot topic. A trade goes down late Sunday night. I was like half asleep and I was like, I woke up the next day and I, I was like, did I dream this? So we got Nick Schmaltz going to Arizona, Dylan Strom and Brendan Perlini to Chicago. It's a trade of all first round picks. And I personally really like this trade for, for both teams, but I want to hear what you guys have to say first. What do you think about the trade? Who wins the trade? Does it make sense? Well, first of all, if you had dreamed a trade, it would have been a much bigger trade than this, I think. It would have been a little well, more exciting. Not always. It's like when you have one of those dreams where it's just a work dream, and you wake up and you're like, oh, I feel like I was at work. So, True story, bro. True story. Um, yeah. Uh, I think in the – who wins this trade? I think, I think that uh, Arizona wins it in the short term. Uh, but in the long term, I think Chicago could win it. And I, to me, I think Dylan Strom is the key to this trade. Because when you trade Brendan Perlini for, for Nick Schmaltz, I mean, I think Nick Schmaltz has a little higher offensive upside than Brendan Perlini. Nick Schmaltz, I, I think, had 21 goals last year. Brendan Perlini yep. had 17. So they're fairly, you know, but, but I think Schmaltz still has the higher offensive upside. Uh, but if Dylan Strom can become what, he was projected to become when he was taken fourth overall, I think that the Chicago Blackhawks have a big win. The only problem is, is that's very, very much up in the air right now. I'm not sure that he can become that kind of player at this level. Um, and I get the whole, you know, Ryan Strom and Alex Dabrinkit and, you know, reuniting them, but this is the NHL. This is not junior hockey. Things that worked in junior hockey and stuff you could do in junior hockey, you can't do in the NHL. And what you got to be able to do in the NHL is get around the ice. And Dylan Strom has not demonstrated yet that he gets around the ice well enough. He's working with Don Braid, the same skating coach that, who worked with John Tavares, and brought his skating up to average. And you don't have to be a great skater. I mean, Matthew Kachuk's not a great skater. and He's not even a really a good skater. Um, but he has to get better at getting around the ice. And if he can do that and become, a, you know, a pretty good offensive player, I think in the long run, Chicago wins this trade. Yeah, it was actually third overall for Dylan Strome. Yes, yeah, of course. Because yeah. Mitch Marner, Marner was went fourth, fourth. Yeah. 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 And I, I think there's probably going to be some anxiety around this trade for Arizona fans because there was so much riding on Strome in terms of that upside. And, you know, you know who else went later in that round was Miko Rantanen. Uh, Zach Wierenski, Ivan Provorov. Like, it was a pretty good draft yeah. uh, with McDavid and Eichel, obviously, up top. I think that when we look at the situation, I, I totally agree with you how this all shakes out. Nick Schmaltz is the only player in this deal who has hit the 50-point plateau so far in his NHL career. And all three of them have struggled this season. You know, Schmaltz is a little down off his pace. He yeah. has 11 points so yeah. far. Yeah. But I want to see what Dylan Strome can become in that Chicago environment because now he has Jonathan Taves to work off. And, I mean, Jonathan Taves is a, a fine skater. There's, there's, there's no comparison there. Right. But just what Taves offers in terms of his overall skill set, the leadership he brings – you know, Arizona has been a young team 
since Strom has been kind of up and down the past couple of years. And, you know, Derek Stepan, obviously a pretty experienced guy, but not on the same level as Jonathan Taves. Right. I mean, you look at the resume that Taves had, or, or has, and it's, there's, there aren't many players. There's a handful that have the same resume as Jonathan Taves in the NHL. So I think he's got a great guy to learn from. I think with Brendan Perlini as well, here's a guy that can skate, that can bring some nice size and skill to the table, but hasn't been able to put it all together, hasn't been consistent. Again, maybe that locker room, dressing room, as we like to say. Yes. THN style. Maybe in Chicago, he can really tap that potential he has and become a guy who is dangerous in 82 games instead of 33 games a season. See, to me, there's, there's one of two things you do with Dylan Strom at this point in his career, in my opinion. You, if you're the Chicago Blackhawks, you either take him and send him, to, send him to Rockford to play in the American League and tell him you've got to improve your skating, you've got to work on that, and come back here once you've dominated the American League. Or you put him on your top two lines. You have him playing second-line minutes behind Jonathan Taves, and you put him there and you keep him there for a while. He was playing fourth line in, 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 in Arizona. That's, that's not his role. That's not, his, that's not where he's going to be a contributor. So I think you either send him to the minors, tell him to get his game together, or put him on the top two lines, give him the rest of the season on, on one of the top two lines, essentially the second line behind Jonathan Taves, yeah. and see what happens. Right, and especially because he already <laughs> dominated the AHL. He doesn't really have much left to prove down there, so I, I, I do think that the better fit is for, for him to get proper scoring line minutes in Chicago. And I really, I like this trade for both teams philosophically, right? So Arizona, we've been looking at them as this theoretical good team on paper. They're amassing all this young talent over the years under John Chaka without getting the results. So they need someone that can help them win now. And Nick Schmaltz, I do think, is ready to contribute relative to Stroman Perlini, a, a larger amount of success yeah. in the short term. Maybe he can be a second-line center. We know he can play the left wing as well. He has that versatility. But I do think he'll get a chance in a scoring-line role. Why not? We know the talent is there. And for Chicago, they're a team that I think they have nothing to lose. I don't think it's actually a massive risk on their part to even get Dylan Strome because we know that Chicago's depth is absolutely gone. They've emptied the cupboard. They're, they're devoid of talent overall in terms of organizational depth. So for them, I think adding more bodies and bodies yeah. with upside in Perlini and Strom, first round picks, 2014, 2015, it gives Chicago a better chance at building something in the long term because they need to get younger and they need more depth. So personally, I think it's a great trade for both teams. It's kind of interesting that Arizona and Chicago, I guess they just kind of only want to trade with each other ever. It's just yeah. a, like how how the long till they replace? Continues, yeah. Like, yeah. Till they replace rosters, are they yeah. going to have the opposite <laughs> rosters, or I don't know. We'll see. Um, switching gears, switching gears to biting. Something my twin sister used to do to me when I was a kid. She used to bite me. And Antoine Roussel, he does it as well. He bites people in games. The punishment is the maximum allowable fine. That's what the NHL always tries to throw mm -hmm. out there to make yep. it sound authoritative and scary. But really, it's, in my opinion, a slap on the wrist. He bit someone. He literally bit someone, and the punishment is a fine. What do you guys think? Well, it's an expensive meal. Still. Five grand is an expensive meal. That, yes. that, that's a lot. Of, that's, that's a good amount of money. But, yeah, I mean, I, you know what? I, have, I gave up a long time ago trying to figure out what the Department of Player Safety, what goes into their decisions. I mean... He bit a guy. He bit a yeah. guy. And, and it was really bad. Like, the, the bite mark was there, and you could see it and everything. Um, but, you know, I mean, 
I just I, I think all of the suspensions, generally speaking, are too short. Most of the most of the discipline comes up short. And obviously, in this case, I can't see why a game or two wouldn't have been sufficient. Yeah. And I mean, five thousand dollars. I mean, if I got fined five thousand dollars, that would be horrible. <laughs> but if Anton Roussel yeah. gets fined five thousand dollars, it's not really a big deal at all. Um, I, you got to It's got to be at least a game. Or two. I mean, you have to have a deterrent. You have to have it to the point where he doesn't bite anybody anymore. Because this is not something that you can have in the sport. It's just, it's a bad look. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's unsanitary yeah. if we get down to it. Um, you just you have to discourage it, and a fine for these guys. It's like whatever. Yeah, because yeah. after because after it happened, Antoine Marcel said, "I'm not going to change the way I play. I'm going to keep playing the way I play, and I'm going to keep biting people." <laughs> no, he didn't actually. Well, he <laughs> <as> well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, as well. And the thing about the biting is, when we look at let's say a Tom Wilson hit, there's always a degree of ambiguity. Oh, did he do it on purpose? Was he just trying to separate the guy from the puck? He can defend himself. But when it comes to biting, that is just pure malice. There's yeah. no oh, I was trying to play the puck and I went. Like this, and yeah. bit a guy by accident. No, he bit him on purpose. So to me, you can make a case that warrants an even bigger suspension than some of the, the hits that concuss guys because there's no doubt, there's no gray zone. This is very clearly malicious behavior. Mm. Right. So, biting, licking, which is worse? Which would be worse? <laughs> I'm going to go with I'm going to go with biting. Yeah, I'm going to go with biting. I'll put it this way. One of them in the right environment you might like. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, maybe if you both. Let's not be close-minded here. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. All right. Okay. There we go. So, is it hot in here? All keep, of a sudden? keep going, Marv Albert. All right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Hopefully, he's not watching this, but eh, he's probably not. Um, <laughs> he knows what he did. <laughs> and next up, just when we thought a Sunday night trade was the biggest news to open the week, a bombshell in Philadelphia. Ron Hextall has been relieved of his duties as general manager. And in a note from team president Paul Holmgren, he mentioned there were philosophical differences in the direction of the franchise. My mind is still blown right now. It's, it's mid-blow. I'm still processing what just happened. Uh, but what do you guys think? Was this the right move? Going Hextall, going GM, instead of going coach as the scapegoat, which is much more common. Well, it's one of those few times where the coach actually doesn't take the fall for bad roster management, yeah. right? And I think that's been the case here. I mean, the Flyers need a goalie who can stay healthy and give them a save. They haven't had that in forever. Since they, Ron they that since Ron Hextall. Maybe, that's, maybe he's getting put back in yeah, the hole. Yeah, maybe they're putting him back. Like, Garsnow went from... It's a reverse Gar Garsnow. Yeah, a reverse Garsnow. Garsnow oh. went from goalie to GM. He's going from GM to goalie. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, this is, this is warranted. It's a results-oriented business. The results weren't there, and they weren't coming. And, I mean, you watch the goaltending they had on Saturday night against Toronto... Four goals on six shots. Uh, the game was over. You can't, like, you're just, when you know that no matter how well you play, you're probably going to lose because you don't have any goaltending depth and your goalies just aren't able to stop anything, that's that's a problem. And that's a, that's a roster problem. It's been one in Philadelphia for whatever reason. Uh, you know, goalies go there to watch their careers die. Um, but, I mean, Ron Hextall did not address that in the short term. He's addressed it in long term. They've got Carter Hart and that's going to be their guy and 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 he's actually Carter Hart's actually struggled a little bit yeah. as a as a first year pro. So I think the, the the worst thing that the Philadelphia Flyers could do is panic and bring him into the NHL. Um, but you know at some you know he's been a pretty conservative GM and sometimes when you need to make that trade you've got to swing for the fences and and I don't think he did that. Yeah, and 
even if their goaltenders were healthy, I think the plan coming into the season was flawed to begin with because you knew what you had with Brian Elliott and Michael Neuvirth. You knew that was not good enough to realistically contend in the East, but they said, well, you know what? That's what we'll go with. They're under contract, and we'll wait for Carter Hart. I, I just think you had to do something a little different there. You had to yeah. at least give the troops a chance. And, you know, the Braden Shen trade for Yori Laterra, obviously that kind of backfired. Oof. Yeah, the, the JVR signing, I mean, he got hurt right away. That didn't help. But I think structurally you have to look at this team and say, was that what you needed when you already had Wayne Simmons? Or could you have used that money in a different way that might have bolstered your lineup? You were gifted Nolan Patrick when you won a draft lottery spot and got the number two pick. You made a great pick in Ivan Provorov. They have a lot of good prospects. I really liked Philly's drafts Mm -hmm. in the Hextall era. They have picked often. They have swung for the fences a couple of times and made really nice reads. And they're set up for the future. They have a nice pipeline, but... The here and now, they just, they've been stalling for a long time. Yeah, and there's a point, you know, there's a point, especially in a market like Philadelphia, where, you know, they're getting 19,000 every game, no matter how bad they are. And there's, it just gets to a point where you're sick of hearing about the future. You're sick yeah. and tired of hearing about how good this team is going to be. And you keep wondering when it's going to be good. And I see the same thing in a place like Florida. You just get sick and tired of hearing, yeah, we're going to be good because we have all these great young players in the mm-hmm. system, and then you're never good. Right. And you look at Claude Giroux and Jacob Voracek in particular, they're getting near the end of their peak prime years. And I, I'm not saying that they had a direct influence on the decision, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if Paul Holmgren looked at his top stars and said, listen, we're burning through these prime years. We should have a much better team. We can't afford to waste these years. Yes, we have a great pipeline, but we need to stop what we have in the NHL right now because we have a chance, especially the Metro. You know, Pittsburgh's been stumbling. Columbus is at the top. It's kind of a strange transitional year for that division. And I've been saying for the last couple of years that I thought the Flyers, by about 2019, 2020, were going to be the best team in the Metro. And we haven't seen that progress. And I do think that Ron Hextall painted himself into a corner with Neuvirth and Elliott because you couldn't go out and sign a kind of stopgap Carter Hutton kind of guy, mm-hmm. which, is, which would have been perfect to keep the seat warm for Carter Hart because you had Neuvirth and Elliott signed for a couple years each. And it's not like it was a surprise that they didn't get the job done. Like, with all due respect to them, we know who they are. And you kind of got yourself stuck with two inferior goaltenders. So I do understand why the blame has to be laid at Extal's feet. And, you know, it's funny because, like, usually in this situation, a GM is working with an owner who might not be much of a hockey guy. And and oftentimes he can sell that guy on his vision of the future. Mm. But when you're selling it to Paul Holmgren, it's like, you know, no, no. Like, I, I know the game. I've yeah. played. I've been, a G- I've been in your chair. So it's not such an easy sell when it's a guy like Paul Holmgren. Mm. That's right. And just, I think, you guys said it as well, the lack of aggression. Hextall, this, the Shen trade was his most prominent deal. But if you look at over four and a half years, he was one of the least active GMs. He was just sort of sitting on his picks, sort of building this mountain of theoretical greatness. But sooner or later, you got to take your shot. And he didn't. Fantasy insider time, and I'm going to start it off with two Golden Knights, and I don't understand the ownership percentage for these guys. 
Alex Tuck, he's got a point per game, 17 points in his first 17 games, and he's 30% owned in Yahoo leagues. I want to play in these 70% of leagues that don't have him on their roster. It sounds like those are very easy leagues. Same goes for Colin Miller. He's getting power play minutes. He's playing a lot. He's getting points. There's just no reason why a guy like that should be on the waiver wire. So I would scour immediately for those two Golden Knights. Another guy who actually might be available, I think he's last I checked available in 90% of leagues, is Andre Case. Never said his name out loud, so I hope I pronounced it I, right. It's Kasha. Kasha. Kasha, there you go. Yeah. Never Andre said it out loud. Kasha. Sometimes, yeah. even in this industry, you just never have to say a guy's name out loud. And now I do because he's on the first line with Getzlaff and Ricard Raquel. He's getting a great opportunity, and he's shown a lot as sort of an unheralded rookie a couple years back. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's hit the 20-goal mark, I believe, before. It's very speedy. Very yeah. speedy. Yeah. Uh, I think he's got a nice little opportunity. So just, again, you're always looking for guys that get promoted to those top lines. Often they get demoted later, but while they have a chance, you want to add them, and he's available in most leagues right now, so go get him. Is Alex Chason available in a lot of leagues right now? Uh, probably, and he's a guy, yes, he got a couple power play goals on Sunday, right? Well, and but he's producing pretty he's he producing is. pretty consistently for them. He is, but I think the Oilers have a lot of those flavor of the week guys, Ty right. I, right. I think in the end, you look at pedigree. So I'll put it this way. If Jesse Pugliarvi or Kyler Yamamoto were the guys suddenly on that line, that's yeah. a guy that I always go and grab. If it's a chase on type, I mean, we kind of know who he is by now. It's not right. like he's yeah, 21 yeah. years old. Mm-hmm. So I'm skeptical. At the same time, if you're in a deep league, sure, you may as well. If you have the, if you have the bench space, stash him. Why not? Mm-hmm. So fair. Fair point. Okay. Future watch time. Ryan, two prospects now. All right, so let's start with the 2019 draft in the Quebec League. Jacob Peltier, a really dynamic young man. Doesn't have a ton of size, but as we all know these days, that doesn't matter. Uh, I love his energy. I love the skill. 37 points in his first 25 games. And I feel like with Peltier, he might have been a little bit under the radar coming into the season because he got banged up at the Holinka Gretzky tournament. So uh, we didn't get the full Peltier experience, and you know he missed some the preseason and things like that. But... As time goes on, I think we're going to be thinking a lot more about this young man because the Moncton Wildcats are a very good team, one of the best in the Quebec League. And because the Halifax Mooseheads are hosting the Memorial Cup, that means the Q will get two bids for that tournament. I'm sure the Wildcats will be in the thick of it right until the end. So Jacob Peltier, really fun kid to watch. I highly suggest checking him out. Um, heading to drafted players, uh, going to the NCAA now, the Penn State Nittany Lions doing big things, and Evan Barrett, a Chicago Blackhawks pick, he's a center, he has been fantastic. Uh, he had 18 points all of last season, he's already got 21 in 13 games, and uh, that bodes very well for his World Junior chances with Team USA, uh, but also just for the Nittany Lions, who have quickly become a very good program. Uh, Barrett, he is obviously talented, but he's very smart, very competitive. Not the greatest skater in the world, but getting better. And just offensively, you know what they're doing at Penn State right now, they have some pretty nice players on that lineup, and Barrett is the key right now. Okay. Uh, I have a confession, by the way. I don't know what a Nittany lion is. I know what a lion is, but what's yeah. a Nittany lion? You know what I, lo- I don't know I, what Nittany means. I looked it up a while ago, and I don't remember. I think it just means like traditional or something like the, that. The Penn State traditional lion. Traditional <laughs> lion. That more of a ring to it to me. Just I'm saying. probably wrong. <laughs> I'm gonna look it up now. Yeah. Let's look at the magazine, and you guys have probably seen it on newsstands lately. The goalie issue, Marc-Andre Fleury is the man on the cover. And Ken, you caught up with him to discuss the chase of the wins record, or at least second place on the all-time, all-time wins list, which I think is in reach for, for Marc-Andre. But uh, why don't you fill us in? Yeah, it's certainly within reach. I mean, and, and 
I think people don't really realize that this guy could end up being the third or second winningest goaltender in NHL history. Um, he's at 416 now, 416 victories, you know, through a back-to-back shutouts in the last couple of games. Um, and so, I mean, Martin Bruder, nobody's catching him. Nobody's catching him at 691 or whatever he's at. But Patrick was at 551. So he's got 135 wins that he needs to get. He's got the rest of this year. He's got a three-year extension, so that's four years. If he puts up, and, and it's, a, it's a bit of a stretch. I mean, we have to, you know, we kind of have to, a lot of has to happen here. But, you know, if he puts up 30 win seasons for the next, for this year, those three of his, his extension, and if he signs for one more year and can, you know, squeeze out some more wins, then he's, he's kind of right there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, he's a guy that I think is, is, has kind of been underrated a lot of his career, if, if, if that's possible, mm-hmm. you know? Um, you, you know, I mean, this year in Vegas, you know, reality's come crashing down on them a little bit, um, you know, and, the, and it's been some tough sliding for them, and it's been a bit of tough sliding for Marc-Andre Fleury as well. Um, up until the last couple of games. So, I mean, a lot's going to have to sort of fall into place. But, I mean, he's right there with Patrick Waugh and Martin Brodeur at the same age. So if he can, if he can hang in and keep being, uh, you know, a, a really sort of solid, productive goalie who racks up those wins, who just sort of quietly racks up those 30-win seasons like we've seen a lot of guys do, he could be right there. And is, is he a Hall of Famer if he never wins a Vezina Trophy? What do you think? Ooh, that's a good question. That's I, I, I would have to say yes if he ends up second on the wins list. And he's got a, he's got a he's cup. He's got cups. The, he's got people say yeah. quote unquote three cups. I, I say one and a half, because right he was one and a, one, exactly mm-hmm. one them, and a half. Got yep. them part way one year, but again cups. cups yeah, they cups. Ju- cups they cups. they don't win that that cup if he doesn't come in and play the first two rounds of the way he played. Right. Yeah. The, the, the in the twenty seventeen yeah. year. So yeah, I, I think. I think one and a half cups is fair. Mm-hmm. One he won all by himself. One of them he made probably the most spectacular clutch save in NHL history yeah. on Nick Lidstrom with a second left in Game Seven. Um, so I, I think the I think the resume's there. Yeah. Ken, you still have the floor this time. Oh. It's for a hot take. There was another uh, guy out there whose name is Brian Burke. He had a, a hot take of his own, uh, claiming that. Didn't belong in our league for the Carolina Hurricanes to do their celebratory thing, but you have a different opinion, I believe. Can yeah, I, yeah. So I mean, it. I mean, I mean, a lot's been made of this whole sort of post-game ritual that the that the Carolina Hurricanes are doing, and and you know, really, it's not really my cup of tea. Uh, I think it's going to get old pretty quickly. Um, I think it's kind of goofy, but who gives a flying for do what I think. I'm a 55-year-old white guy, right? They're not trying to, they're, they're not trying to, to, to impress me, you know? And this is a franchise that has had a really tough go in a really tough market. They haven't been a very good team. They haven't drawn well. They're still not drawing well on weekend nights. They're still only drawing 12, 13,000 fans. Those 12, 13,000 fans are actually really diehards and they are really loud and passionate and everything. But there ain't enough of them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, I mean, you can't, you can't complain that players lament the fact that players are so robotic and and don't have any personality, and then kind of 
kind of kind of give them heck when they do show some personality. I, I mean, like I said, I think it's I think this this one's going to be kind of a 15 minutes of fame thing. I think it's going to grow pretty old pretty quickly, um, and it, it's it's harmless. And I mean, who are who are we to, to to tell them what to do? I mean, this isn't like some young guy. This is Justin Williams, you know, an established guy with Stanley Cups. Mr. Game league, Seven. Yeah, he's been in the league a long time. He's the one at the forefront of this, you know. So it's not like that. It's this this you know this sort of guy bucking against. Uh, well, he is bucking against tradition, but it's not like it's some young kid some young who's, who's yeah. calling young punk who hasn't proven himself. This is Justin Williams. So just be quiet. Just shut up. Yeah. And and. Just enjoy it. And it's a team coached by Rod Brindamore, which to me, I, you associate Rod mm. Brindamore with you know lo them locking the gym doors when he was a hurricane because he wanted to work out so much. Right. I don't associate the domino celebration with Brindamore, but that makes it even more interesting to me. And I think th there's a strange cycle of people complain that players don't want to show the personality, like you said, Ken, and then they do, and then people jump on them, and then they stop showing it, and then people complain again, mm -hmm. and they finally do, and people jump on them, and it goes right. over and over in a cycle. So what we have to finally do is just accept that sometimes it's okay to sell the game. And I don't know if it's a Canadian... I, I personally think it's a Canadian culture thing. Just I like, do, too. Don't stand out, and I think it's sort of rooted in, in Don Cherry and this sort of, you know, put your head down, don't embarrass the other team if you score, all that kind of thing. And yes, sure, it's noble, but it's not as entertaining. Hockey is still a business. Yeah. Exactly. Between this and Gritty, this is the year of fun. Oh, Gritty. Yeah, Gritty. Yeah. Even though you dissed us, we still love you. <laughs> <laughs> Mailbag time. First question is from John at John Paul Sly. Nice name. Sounds like a rapper. Uh, could you see decent interest around the league if Andre Kopitar was on the trade block? Blark. <laughs> trade Blark. block. Uh, very interesting question. It would be very complicated because we know Kopitar has, what, seven, six, seven years left at $10 million? But we know how valuable he is, so it's a fun question to dissect. It is a fun question to dissect. I think he's actually got five after this year, so six including this year. Ten million dollar cap hit. He makes a he makes eleven twelve million dollars this year, eleven million dollars next year. He's got a no move clause until after nineteen twenty, uh, and and that's a big big ticket. Um, and and he's got a limited no trade clause after that. Um, I mean, first of all, he's not he's not going to be on he's not going to be on the trade block. So it's kind of a it's kind of a moot point because uh, I mean the LA Kings love him. Uh, that's why they signed him to this deal. Uh, this deal I don't think is going to age well at all. And if I were a team, you know, looking for some help, it, there would be a lot of red flags for this deal. So I I, I don't really think. I, first of all, I don't think he's going to be on the trade block in anytime soon and secondly um I, I just think that that this is a deal that's that's in the last couple of years may look really really ugly yeah and it's tough because how many teams can afford right. that kind of cap hit even though you're getting one of the better players in the league i i agree with you ken that the style kopitar plays um is kind of falling out of favor even though i mean he's an excellent two-way player uh and Obviously, last year was fantastic, um, and you're getting selkie caliber play. But at the same time, he's he's not fast, fast. He's he's quick because he's so big, mm -hmm. and he can get up the ice fairly well. But I, I think LA is a good place for him. The only scenario I can see, and I don't actually see it happening, is would Seattle take on that contract when they come into the league? Because you know. They'll have the space, 
you get a an excellent leader, you get a number one center, expectations for the team shouldn't be that high. But again, like, would Kopitar want to go to an expansion team? Probably not. Can he just wait out this lull in L.A. and hope that maybe they get some assets in the next couple of years that make them a winner again? I mean, they still have Drew Doughty on a long-term contract as well. Um, for me, I don't think he's moving. And it's hard to find a lot of scenarios that he would fit in elsewhere. And really, I mean, if you're trading him this year, if you're the L.A. Kings, if you're trading him this year, um, how, are you, how is that going to address anything for this year? I mean, he's been maybe their best player. Well, it After, means you're rebuilding. Yeah, it's yeah it does. It does, yeah. You're yeah. blowing up. Yeah. 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 But I agree um, that it might make sense for Kopitar to wait out a lull because kind of like Joe Thornton, uh, his offense is going to go, but um, Kopitar's two-way game, is, that part of his game is going to age well. So mm. I could see a scenario where the Kings, they have no choice but to keep Kopitar, and maybe in three, four years they're good again, and then he's more of a defensive guy on a good team. Right. Sure. So at least he, he'll always have that part of his game that's going to be useful even when he's... When he's and he might be their second line center behind Jack Hughes next year. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> and a great guy Problem solved. That's very good. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> there great we go. Point. Great. Uh, Ryan, you already brought up Seattle. It's a good segue to the next questions from S. Hocko at Hockey Insider. Uh, and S. Hocko says, do you think the new Seattle team will be able to somewhat replicate a successful inaugural season like the one Vegas had seeing as they paid more to get in? And it's a fun question, and I think it's a question we're going to hear a lot because of the fact Vegas set the bar so high. And it's, I put Seattle, I think, in a tough spot. Mm -hmm. Well, the fact that they're paying more to get in will have nothing to do with this because the expansion rules will be exactly the same as they were for, uh, for Vegas. So, um, no, I don't think they're going to replicate their success. I don't think, because I don't think Vegas is replicating their success. Yeah. Um, you know, they've, they've hit reality here. And uh, I think also, I think the league is, you know, fool me once, shame on me sort of thing. Mm. Um, I think the a lot of executives around the league are just going to put their protected list together. And if they lose a player, they lose a player. Yeah. And, I, and, and, and I think they're, they're, they're going to be a lot more cautious about making side deals and, and, and losing, you know, legitimate players like Nate Schmitz and, and, and players like that because they, 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 they saw what could happen. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that they're going to be a lot more careful this time. I think it's going to be a lot cleaner this time. I think there's going to be a lot fewer side deals. It's going to be, here's our protected list. Take our guy. Let's move on. Yeah, I agree. The only way I can see Seattle getting maybe some extra draft picks is if they take on some bad contracts, some really bad contracts. I think... We thought there would be more of that with Vegas. Like, they took on David Clarkson. Yep. Um, but, in, you know, in reality, like, they basically, you know, were pretty clean until Thomas Tatar, and they managed to deal Thomas Tatar when that didn't pan out. So I think Seattle's going to have a little bit of leverage, but certainly not what Vegas did because teams don't want to be losing Alex Tucks and William Carlson's and guys like that. Yeah, exactly, I agree. And our third question, we've had this guy before, this, this noble knight, Sayar, son of Will. <laughs> and Sayar says, with this becoming the season of the backup goalies, which hot goalie do you think has the best chance of permanently unseating the starter? Could we see Tuka Rask or Corey Schneider moved, Cam Talbot and Mike Smith not being resigned or re-signed? Uh, <laughs> there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, the first part <clears throat> I, I want to address is goaltending uh, in terms of the guys who are hot right now. I think David Riddich maybe has already taken over Calgary's yeah, that yeah. Would I think be it's my... become his gig because I mean, well, Sunday night Mike Smith played against Arizona and he was pretty good, but I, I yeah. yeah, I think 
that that's one where you look at the progression and it's like, come on. Yeah, because yeah. Mike Smith's age and the fact that he's a pending UFA, they don't owe him much. I think I've said that before on the show, uh, so it looks like it's Riddich to me, but do you guys see anyone else? Is it Miko Koskinen, or what do you think? I can see Koskinen for sure because Talbot's another guy that's a free agent this summer, and for Edmonton, obviously, right now, they are at a huge crossroads. Bringing in Ken Hitchcock, even if it is short-term, you know, they need to make the playoffs this year. They need to start going in the right direction. I think that it, it's tough because if Talbot was the answer, I'm sure they would be happy to sign him to another multi-year deal and say, okay, we, we've seen what you've done in the past. We are happy with it. But because of the way this season has started out, I, I'm not saying Koskinen's the long-term answer, but I think he is... At this point, he might be more likely to stay than Talbot. Yeah, to me, yeah. it looks like an open competition because of the fact that they're both UFAs. You may as well just pit them against each other and see who wins. Right, right. To me, uh, Talbot looks like he's going to be a, a pretty good backup goaltender in the NHL. Yeah, if you, year. I mean, if you resign Cam Talbot as your number one goaltender, then you. You you're deserve everything you get. You deserve everything you get because you're not moving forward. Welcome the, to Philly. The one thing I will say is that, is that I think the one thing working in Cab Talbot's favor for this for the rest of this year, is the Ken Hitchcock effect on a team. It it re, it, it really helps goalies. Oh, yeah, yeah, it yeah, really true. really helps goalies. So I could see Cam Talbot, if you know if they get the buy-in, and you know Hitch is able to put his stamp on that team. Um, I could see Cam Talbot having something of a resurgence this season uh, and maybe enhancing his value a little bit. But, boy, as a number one guy, I'm, I, 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 if you're si- like I said, if you're signing him to be your number one guy, then you've, you have not done your, your duty at, in terms of developing goalies in your organization. And great point about Hitch because it seems like goalies always have monster numbers under Hitchcock because his, his – his defensive system just limits like shot quality or something, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like Brian Elliott had monster numbers under Hitchcock, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and I don't, I don't see a Tuukka Rask trade or a Corey Schneider trade for different reasons. Rask because, so seven million dollar cap hit, but also Boston still, you don't, you don't want to have, even though Halak has been great, you don't want to have no safety net behind Halak. You have yeah. to keep Rask on your roster. No, and and I mean Halak is a guy that. Like, would he be able to carry the mail as a number one he guy? He gets hot. He gets hot, and then he gets cold. And I, but I think, you know, as you mentioned the other a couple of weeks ago, Matt. I mean, you know, enough with the Tuka Rask hate here. You know, I mean, this guy's <laughs> he's a good guy's goalie. A, no, he's a great goalie. Yeah, yeah I don't care. Yeah. And then Schneider, I just don't think he has the trade value right now because his hips mm. have been so problematic, and that tends to be chronic for goalies. So I just don't see a team wanting to pay up for him. He hasn't been good enough. Yeah. Yep. So there you have it, Sire, son of Will. We'll see who can see. I like, I like his at angry punishment. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. This is quite the handle. All right, Sire. Well, hope you enjoyed that question. Hope you enjoyed the podcast, everybody. We will be back next week. And go to thehockeynews.com to check out our membership program.